Let's read together from the scriptures. I want to read tonight from the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 10. You go to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You will come to the little book of Ezra. We're going to read from verse one, and we'll read right down to verse fourteen. Ezra chapter ten. We'll read from verse one. Let's hear the word of God. Reading from the authorized version. Ezra chapter 10 verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. For the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives, and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra, and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel, to swear that they should do according to this word. And they swore. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehonanan, the son of Elisabib. And when he came hither, he did eat no bread or drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month, on the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure. And separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many. It is a time of much rain. And we are not able to stand without. Neither is this a work of one day or two. For we are many that have transgressed in this thing. 
Let now our rulers of all the congregation stand, and let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight, and this is the first Lord's Day evening of 2023, is found in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 2. And it's the latter part of the text that I want to focus on. Yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. And I've just taken that theme. Yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now I want you to understand the context. I want you to grasp the setting of the scene behind the utterance of these words. The people of the northern kingdom of Israel had fell to the army of Assyria in 722 BC. Apparently on that occasion, 27,000 had been carried captive. And then the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin was invaded by Nebuchadnezzar in 606 BC. On that occasion, the royal family, royal children were taken captive. Then Nebuchadnezzar invaded again in 5. 97 BC and took the chief of the men, the rulers, and the princes. He invaded a third time in 586 BC and sacked Jerusalem, looted the temple, burnt the gates thereof, knocked down its walls. Now I want you to think of a multitude of people in exile in the land of Babylon, belonging to Judah and Benjamin, and they've been there for 70 years. Think of Daniel, think of Ezekiel. Exiled for 70 years according to the word of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 25, 11. Jeremiah 29 and 10. Now when Babylon fell to King Cyrus of Persia in 537 BC, Cyrus issued his decree for the Jews to return to their homeland if they wanted to. And the first wave of exiles returned under Zerubbabel in the year 536 BC. Seventy years after the destruction of the temple. These exiles set about the rebuilding of the temple. They, they laid the foundations and then they stopped working. Then a second batch of exiles came to carry on the work some years later under Ezra the scribe. And he helped to set up the worship of God again in Jerusalem in the rebuilt temple. And then a third group arrived under the governorship of Nehemiah who came to rebuild the walls of the city and set up the gates thereof. So I want you to think of this exiled community that has returned to the land of Israel. However, upon their return to the land of Israel, these exiles, over many years, had taken to themselves strange wives. And this was in disobedience to the law of God. That's what we've read in the opening chapter of Ezra 10, verses 1 to 2. You can link it up with Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. 
You could think of Ezra chapter 10 and verse 11. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Here's a summary of what they must do to correct this situation. They're to make an honest confession of sin to the Lord God of their fathers and do his will. And this confession of genuine would reflect their heartfelt sorrow for their sinful behavior. And this sorrow would not only manifest itself in words, but also manifest of itself in acts of the will. So I want you to think of Ezra the scribe. And he's deep in mourning over the sins of the exile. He has led others to gather around him so that they could see and sense their sin, so that they could weep bitterly over them. Personal sins, national sins. A man by the name of Shechaniah, he became a spokesman for the people, and he urged the people to confess their sin. He proposed to Ezra to make a covenant with the Lord um, regarding this sin and put away their strange wives. Now, Shechaniah was not one of the offenders, but six members of the Elam clan to which he belonged, they had married foreign and strange wives. Ezra acted on Sennacherib's proposal. He gathered the exiles together in the month of December. They agreed that they had sinned. They agreed to put away their strange wives. All but four protested. A commission was appointed to examine each case. And if the foreign wives had put away their idols and denounced idolatry and trusted and swore allegiance to the Lord God of Israel, no further action was required. However, if the foreign wife refused to give up their idols, the marriage was then dissolved by divorce. In the eyes of the law, a suitable arrangements were made for compensation to take care of these women and any dependent children. And it was in that context, and it was against that setting, that this man called Shechaniah stood up and said, yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. You see, these words were spoken against the sense of utter hopelessness and despair among these weeping people who had realized that they had sinned against God. Can you sense their weepingness and the brokenness? Why are they weeping? Why are they broken? Here's the answer, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their sin in the land. The, 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 the church and the country has been affected. Genuine repentance is being called for. Something real and true and genuine, not something glib. True brokenness would lead to true blessedness. And it was against that backcloth that one lesser known man stood up at that time before Ezra the scribe and said, Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Despite the sin in the land, the church, one man saw hope. Here was the chief sin of the nation in that time, intermarrying of strange wives. It was not concealed. 
It was brought out into the open. It was not being brushed under the carpet. This man, I believe, had found a ground for hope. Not mere presumption, but a real true ground of hope. I want you to think of our country tonight. I want you to think of the church in our day. I want you to think of the sins in our nation. And are they not black? Are they not deplorable and degrading? And yet we can say from the scripture, yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. And that's what we want to think about this evening. I want you to think of three things. Three things that come to me. Hope is recognized in God's call for repentance. You see, when he said, yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing, he was thinking against the backcloth of the weeping of the people, the sense of brokenness that they felt, and the confession of their sin. And he realized, well, God has a message for the people. And that message is genuine repentance. And that call to repent involves a heartfelt sorrow for their sins before God is the living and the true God. And here's an evidence of God's grace and mercy to the sin of that day and also evidence of God's grace and mercy to the sinful church in our day and a sinful country. I want you to think of the picture of our country. Somebody sent me this interesting thing. Let me read it out to you. Britain as a lunatic asylum. A famous engraving by the satirical artist William Hogarth shows two fashionable ladies visiting the London lunatic asylum known as Bedlam in 1735. It's an open day at the asylum and visitors can pay to see the inmates. Some of them are confined to their cells including a naked man with a crown on his head who thinks he is a king, and a religious fanatic worshipping the cross. Other inmates are allowed into the gallery. Here are found two deranged scientists, one studying the stars through a useless tube of paper, the other calculating the longitude from scribbles in the wall. A mad musician plays his violin with a stick, wearing the score in his head. A man with a dunce's hat supposes he is the Pope. And a lovesick man with a dog barking at him has carved the initials of his obsession on the wall. His obsession is a notorious prostitute of the day. From outside, the attendants look in through the bars. Britain must currently present a similar sight to the angels. In our United Kingdom, here are people pretending they can change their gender. Here are others gluing themselves to the road because of climate change. Here are people slaughtering hundreds of thousands of beautiful unborn babies. And here's a parliament passing law to protect the sensitive feelings of these murderers. There are thousands of illegal immigrants being helped ashore to enjoy benefits and health care that they cannot get elsewhere. Here's a prime minister worshipping an elephant god, which is idolatry. Here are scientists and philosophers surrounded by evidence of God's being and wisdom, but denying his existence. 
Here religious leaders with the Bible in their hand, yet missing the way of salvation themselves and pointing others away from it. Here is Satan looking on through the bars. And here underneath it all are the jaws of hell, daily receiving multitude. This was written by the Reverend Douglas W.B. Somerset in the Free Presbyterian magazine in December 2022. He added at the end, truly God has given Britain up to judgment because of her rejection of Christ. Hosea 4 and 6 says, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Romans 1.22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Think of the sin in the church. We have sinned. Apostasy. Compromise, religious downgrade. You see, it was the sons of Benjamin, the sons of Judah, who were marrying strange wives to benefit themselves militarily, economically, personally. And yet it was a false message. It was a foolish thing to do. It was taking them further and further away from the things of God and all that was good and godly in the land. These strange waves, you know why they were called strange waves? Because they were turning their heart from God. They, they were turning their heart from the true way of worship. They were turning their heart to idolatry. They, they were not like the godly Ruth who was converted and had a new heart and who denounced idolatry and heathenism and put her faith and trust in the living and the true God. No, no, these wives came with their religion, with their gods, came with an idolatrous mindset, it came with the goal of iniquity. I was asked recently what's going on in the Free Presbyterian Church. I've heard the call today for individuals to bring in candles again, to burn incense, pictures of crucifixes, pictures with an icon of the Lord Jesus Christ on it. I've heard the call from young and old, let's do away with the authorized version, it's archaic. And of course, many are now quoting the modern new versions of the Bible, pointing out where they believe in their wisdom that the authorized version is wrong. I've heard the call to do away with head covering. Sadly, many are refusing to take a stand. Think of the standards of dress in relation to the house of God. I was speaking to some ladies and they take a stand Outside abortion clinics, silent witness, silent prayer, facing danger of arrest. And what is sad is that our leaders are silent. They're not with them. We should be taking the lead. We, we, have, we, have, we have stepped aside and others have stepped up to fill the vacuum. If I get asked and even add this, you listen to the call of the Protestant leaders lauding the virtues of the dead Pope Francis. Now, it's one thing to offer heartfelt condolences to family, Roman Catholic community. I can do that. But it's quite a different thing when you laud a dead leader. Listen to what the Reverend David Nixon has said. He's president of the Methodist Church. Pope Benedict had a profound influence in the life of the church. His life was deeply rooted in God, and in his teaching he encouraged all to a closer relationship with Jesus. He was a man of prayer, an insightful theologian. 
A relationship with Jesus? Do you know what the relationship with Jesus through Pope Francis was? It was through the church mediating grace to sinners. It wasn't salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as found in the scriptures alone. You see, here's a picture of the country. And the country's in an unhealthy state, religiously and spiritually. But then you think of the, the state of the church with all the liberalism that's going on and the modernism and the ecumenism. The religious downgrade and apostasy. And there's hardly a cheat now from a free Presbyterian pulpit. Could I read out a prayer for the church? Listen to this prayer. I didn't make it up. This prayer was given in Kansas in the USA at the opening session of their Senate. It seems prayer still upsets some people. When Minister Joe Wright was asked to open the new session of the Kansas Senate, everyone was expecting the usual generalities. But this is what they heard, and I read. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness, to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We have embezzled public funds and called it essential expenses. We have institutionalized bribery and called it suites of office. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God. And know our hearts today, cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Amen. The response was immediate. A number of legislators walked out during the prayer and protest. In six short weeks, Central Christian Church, where Reverend Wright as pastor, lodged more than 5,000 phone calls, with only 47 of those calls responding negatively. The church has now received international requests for copies of the prayer, India, Africa, Korea. Here's the plea, with the Lord's help, may this prayer sweep over our nation and wholeheartedly become our desire so that we again can be called one nation under God. I want you to think not only of the plight of the picture of the country and the prayer for the country, but I want you to think of this, the plight for the country. In our text, we read the word, yet now there's hope. What is the opposite of hope? Is it not despair? At that hour, only one man saw hope. The rest saw despair. Despair, according to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, is a terrible black monster. It literally means losing all heart. Those with no hope in God, no hope in the gospel, no hope in the glory of God. And the opposite of hope is this, no expectation of good or God at work. That's sure and certain. 
And is there not despair in Ulster tonight? Is there not a sense of grave depravity? We have sinned. The church has sinned. The nation has sinned. And what's our response to that? Well, here's a real experience. Given ourselves to losing heart and despair. Was not true of Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel. They ruled the land. It was a day of apostasy and wickedness. Joint monarchs who hated Elijah. Jezebel was a, a foreign strange wife and queen. Elijah fled from her. He, he went into the wilderness. He fell asleep. He, he lay down in great despair. He lost sight of all that was good and godly. And what did he pray? Lord, take away my life. Better for me to die than to live. Nothing better. No point, Lord, in living. No promise of a change in the circumstances. Death is favored. Is there not a sense of grave desertion? We have lost sight of God's presence and God's power. We are believers and we honestly have to reach into our soul. We have to try and feel after God. And we truly feel that God himself is removed from us. We have lost a sense of his presence in that experimental relationship. We've lost a sense of his power. Do we not feel despair because of a sense of grave defilement? Do we not struggle with our own sin? Do we not feel that sin has gained a foothold in our lives? Gained the ascendancy, the dominance once again? Did Paul not pray, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Do we not feel a, a, a sense of great denial? We have prayed and prayed for revival. Others have prayed and prayed for and revival has not come. Prayer hasn't been answered. And in Jeremiah's day, he felt that great darkness. He cried and shouted. He wanted the Lord to come, yet felt the Lord had shut out his prayer. Prayer presented, but prayer not been answered. Is it not a day of great darkness? A day of dark providences? One bad thing after another is happening. Life of the country, the life of the church, a day of trouble. Psalm 77, read Asaph's Psalm. My soul ran in the night. My soul refused to be comforted. Questioning, is his mercy clean gone forever? You see, things that are happening that you're confused about. Things that you can't understand. And so much so that, that has tormented your soul. And you can't see how the situation can change. You've no sense of hope. A sense of depravity. A sense of feeling of desertion. A sense of defilement, denial and darkness. The situation is hopeless. And what does it lead to? It leads to despair. And you know this despair is a dangerous thing. Because it means we leave off trusting the Lord. It means we leave off turning to him. Why wait upon him? So troubled that we can't speak to him. We, we ask, what's the point? We, we leave off taking up the word of God. The mindset is, I don't care what the Bible says. My experience is in conflict with the Bible. What's the point of being a Christian? What's the point of being godly? What's the point of going to church? There's no prophet. I'm vexed in my soul. I can't be bothered. See, that's the picture. Hope must be recognized in God's call to repentance. But we must recognize the picture of the country as we see it. The picture in the church as we see it. The answer is we have sinned. 
And we must make this prayer to God. And in light of that despair, realize, yet there's hope. I want you to think of something else. Hope is regarded in God's character of repentance. If we ask the question, what is repentance? We get the answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin in apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full promise of an endeavor after new obedience. True and genuine repentance. Not only the call to it, but the character of it. You see, genuine repentance must be primarily before God. There has to be confession of sin to God. Sin is first and foremost against God and his law. Remember David said, 2 Samuel 12 and 13, I have sinned against the Lord. He said in Psalm 51, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. True repentance feels deeply the wrong of our sins. There's bitter weeping. There's genuine brokenness. Not only in a minor thing, but in a, in a major thing. And, and our sorrow has to be proportionate to, to the magnitude of our sin. True repentance accepts the responsibility for what we have done. And yet true repentance sees hope in the midst of this despair. There is hope that's real. And the reason for the hope, God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God's abounding in mercy and truth. With God is plenteous redemption. A God who keeps covenant with his people. And I want to tell you lastly, hope is rooted in God's covenant of redemption. You see, this sin, the taking of strange wives, resulted in problems for which there was no easy solution. One of these solutions was this, allow the mixed marriages to continue. Ezra couldn't do that because he felt he was condoning such behavior. He knew that if he allowed it to continue, it would draw many more into those mixed marriages, into more sin, into, into apostasy from the Lord. You see, remember 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He knew the problem had to be confronted. That's why there was weeping and brokenness and confession. He knew that it couldn't spread further. So he fasted. He, he prayed. He wept. He, he did the lesser of the two things. He, he, he broke up and separated the, 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 the strange wives uh, who were married to these sons of Benjamin and sons of Judah. He, he entered into a, 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 a covenant with them to put them away. If they clung to their gods and clung to their sin and clung to their idolatry. This man, Shechaniah, was an excellent man to have in the church. He said, yet now there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. The word hope means a believing expectation of God his grace, his goodness, and his greatness. And I just ask in closing tonight, do we believe in hope for the church of our day? Do we believe in hope for our country? Do we have a believing expectation of God and his grace and his greatness and his goodness to come and change the situation? Because we could talk about the grace of hope.
And we could talk tonight about the ground of hope, only we don't have time. And that ground of hope is the God of the covenant. If you look at the verse 3, it says, Now therefore, which means in light of us, let us make a covenant with our God. A covenant has to do with the shedding of blood. The, the blood of a lamb. And you think of the ground of the covenant of redemption and grace that God has made between father and son and between son and his people. And the ground of that points to the shed blood of Christ. And, and First John 1 and 7 tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And the blood of Christ guarantees our hope. The blood of Christ is the ground of our expectation for God to come in his grace and his goodness and his greatness and work a miracle on our behalf. The psalmist prayed, Wilt thou not revive us again that we thy people may rejoice in thee? In Psalm 85, a, a tremendous psalm. And yet listen to what he says in verse 10. Mercy and truth are meet together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where did that happen? It happened at the cross. These attributes, God's mercy, God's truth, God's righteousness and peace, they were joined together through the cross of Christ, through the blood shedding of Calvary's lamb. And it's in this ground that God enters into covenant. And it's in this ground that God works. And we could talk about the grace of this hope and the ground of this hope. And we could talk about the greatness of this hope. Yet now there's hope in Israel. Can you get the picture? I've tried very difficultly tonight to present it to you. But if we could recognize this evening that there is hope. And it's recognized in God's call to repentance. And that hope must be regarded in the character of that repentance. What, what God is actually asking them to do. Rend their hearts, not their garments. And that hope is rooted in God's covenant of redemption. And even though sin results in problems for which there's no easy solution, the overall solution is the power of the blood of Christ. May the Lord take his word this evening and bless it to us.